You're listening to the Jets Nation Podcast. Hey, I'm Cody Bueller, joined by my brother Kyle. Today on the show, we're going to take a look at what went wrong for the Winnipeg Jets. We're going to preview what's coming up for them this offseason. And we're going to take a look at the second round of the playoffs. All right, so for segment number one, we get the sad sad assignment of breaking down what happened to the Winnipeg Jets. A first-round exit against the St. Louis Blues. We had kind of feared this would happen, but it still sucked to actually watch it happen. Yeah, exactly. Looking at it kind of as a um, as a whole, I don't think anybody's really surprised. Given how the Jets were playing as of late, given how St. Louis was playing as of late, if you told everybody two weeks ago the Jets were going to lose in six games in round number one, I don't think anybody would have really been shocked. But given how the narrative kind of went in the series, it really could have went either way. Yeah, it definitely could have. And we're going to break down this series, and I'm going to just kind of look at it game by game. I didn't get a chance to watch games one, four, and five because of work. Uh, I call the games for the Portage Terriers, so they lined up at the exact same time as the Terrier games, and I couldn't really record it and watch it after. I just didn't have time, and plus with the schedule just being so tight, I I was able to find out the results almost immediately after, but I've watched a bunch of breakdown and a lot of analysis of this. It looked like the Jets at home, they played not bad. In game number one, they were up 1-0. Patrick Laine scoring on the power play, and then the Blues came back in the third period, scored a two late to win it in regulation. Game number two, kind of the same thing. It was 3-3 heading into the third period, And then the Blues came back and won it. So late game collapses in the first two. Jets looked really good in games three and four, able to win six to three in game three. Game number four, they won two to one. And then games five and six, kind of the same story. The Jets were up two nothing heading into the third period in game five at home. Here's a chance to go up three, two in the series. The Blues scored three goals that heartbreaker with seconds left to win the game. And then in Game 6, the Jets were just kind of out of it from the start. That was the one, I think, that was one of the more lopsided games, even though the final score was 3-2. to So a lot of the times, this was a close series, and a lot of times, it was collapses that were the undoing for the Jets. Yeah, so bring it back to uh, Games 1 and 2 at home. I I thought the Winnipeg Jets, they played okay. Um, They happened to come out of both games with a loss. Uh, Game 1, I thought, was, was pretty close to Winnipeg Jets should have or could have won that game. Uh, game number two specifically, Connor Hellebuck did not play well. Uh, if you remember that game, he had one kind of just beat him through the five hole from uh, the top of the circle. He had a couple where he just didn't really look that good. And I would say Hellebuck was the undoing in game number two. Game number one definitely could have went Winnipeg's way as well, but it's just a couple bounces here and there. It, it's very close one goal games, one key moment here or there that decided those games one and two at home. And so then for games three and four, uh, I don't know if we want to look at what was done differently, but I feel like the Jets came out with a different level in intensity in games three and four. And I kind of felt like throughout this whole series, uh, save for game number two, the Jets were skating harder and we saw some of that intensity that had kind of been missing for the last couple of months. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I would agree. I I thought they had that intensity in the first two games as well, but I mean, game number one is essentially was a coin flip game two. When your goalie isn't playing well, it's disaster for your team. And to be game fair, three, Bennington their... played well. To be fair, Bennington did play well. Yeah, he did. He was good all series. Um, but games three and four, we were still able to beat him. And, and I think that was maybe, it wasn't necessarily the difference because I think both goalies played well uh, throughout the entire series. Um, but games three and four, you, you just got that bounce that you needed um, compared to at home 
when you just didn't. And I think, if, uh, is it weird to say it was luck a lot of times? Just the, the bounces, um, the winning the battles, the it, it essentially was a coin flip for much of the series, um, how it went on. Winnipeg losing games one and two, winning three and four, and now you're pretty much set all square, best out of three going into game five. Yeah, and what what game was that where Perot had a great chance in front, went off the butt end of uh, Binnington's stick? It was one of the early games where Shifley had a chance to tie it late, and Binnington comes across with this amazing toe save. But really, after game four, it's kind of a wash because it's all tied up again. And so then the final two games, the Jets had a two-goal lead heading into the third period in game five on home ice. You should never be giving that up and losing the game in regulation. That's no, like, you, you shouldn't. That's that, that's the biggest thing. But it they, it did. It happened. There here's here's the big difference in my mind. If you're looking back at game, I think it was game four, um, where the Winnipeg Jets had a phenomenal first period, yet found themselves down one nothing, and they were playing. And that was the one where Perot hit it off the shaft of um, Bennington's stick. The Winnipeg Jets were down, but they were severely outplaying the Blues, yet they were losing one nothing. What happened in that game, the Winnipeg Jets scored in the second, scored in the third, won the game. You could tell they were playing better than St. Louis the whole game. That was the exact opposite in game number five. The Winnipeg Jets got out to that really early lead. Uh, I think it was, what, 13, 15, 17 seconds, whatever it was, for Adam Lowry. And, And then Kevin Hayes adds another goal later in the first period. But the Winnipeg Jets got severely outplayed in that period by the Blues, yet were up to nothing. They got outplayed in the second period, yet were up to nothing. It was not, it was not a surprise to see the Blues score on Hellebuck once, twice, three times because the Blues outplayed the Jets from the very puck drop. They just happened to be losing going into the third period. So you could say it's a third period collapse. It was essentially a, just a really bad game by Winnipeg because they were outplayed from the get go. And I feel like that was the same case in game number six. They were outplayed. The Blues didn't let the Jets get anything through the neutral zone. They had a hard time getting any kind of pressure on net. They scored those couple of goals late to make it look a little bit less lopsided. But it seemed like the Blues just kind of took it to the Jets after that. And so now we've broken down these games. We've kind of broken down the series the way it went uh, against the Blues. But overarching, the Jets didn't win. They didn't get it done. We blamed Hellebuck for game two. We blamed uh, lack of a third period being able to finish it out in some of the games, poor effort in some, sometimes the bounces. Is there any aspect of the game you can kind of pin it on other than that? I think that's kind of the summary of what we've all just said. Is there anything else you kind of wanted to add to this? No, and I think that's the weird part because a lot of times when you lose in the playoffs, you can really pinpoint the cause. Either the goaltending wasn't good, maybe your first line barely scored a point. Maybe your depth didn't do anything for the whole series. The Winnipeg Jets, they had everything going. Hellebuck played, I would say, a very good series, minus that one game. The top line was scoring throughout the series. Patrick Laine, three straight games with the goal to start the series. We saw the the fourth or the TLC line contributing. Kevin Hayes contributing on the fourth line. The Winnipeg Jets had everything you need for a successful playoff series, yet they still lost. And, And that's what I think gets a lot of fans is that the Jets by and large played well yet you're still going home with a bad taste in your mouth with this loss and I think that's what maybe makes it different compared to last year 
um, losing to the Golden Knights, well, you could say, well, Fleury stole it from us, and he outbattled Hellebuck, and that's why we lost, or, or those sorts of things. You can't really do that in this series, and that's maybe one of the most frustrating parts for Winnipeg is that you can't really pinpoint the blame. Yeah, and it's everybody played okay, but just not good enough. And so it can be spread out evenly, and I think everybody shares the blame because the top line obviously didn't play well enough. The depth scoring didn't contribute enough. The goalie didn't play well enough. And so it does get spread out evenly. I definitely do agree with you there. And you do have to give credit to the Blues because they have been one of the hottest teams in hockey. And the way they are peaking here in the playoffs and coming into the playoffs is really what matters. And so now we're going to kind of break down the second round and then we're going to kind of look at what's next for the Winnipeg Jets going forward. Actually, let's switch that around. Let's take a little segment now and take a look at what's going on next for the Winnipeg Jets heading into the offseason. All right, so now for segment number two, Kyle, uh, looking at what's next for the Winnipeg Jets. They've gone back to Winnipeg. They've done their exit interviews, the day with the media. Everybody basically packs up their stuff, heads home. Some might stay in Winnipeg for a little while longer. Some may be going back to where their families are. It's a little bit different for every individual player. Everybody's got a different situation. But what's next now for the Winnipeg Jets? Maybe for the front office and for the players themselves. Well, here's the interesting thing to me, and I was watching uh, the Hockey Night in Canada broadcast, I think it was last night, maybe a couple nights ago, and they were talking about how the blueprint to win, and this was it was last night specifically in regards to the least losing uh, Game 7, um, it was in regards to how do you win a Stanley Cup and the blueprint that Washington and Pittsburgh have kind of laid in the last number of years. And essentially what it was is you pick your absolute core players you lock them up for as long as possible, and you just keep going at it time after time after time until you win. You could argue Chicago did the same thing with Taves, Kane, Keith. Every single team, you kind of have that absolute superstar talent, You, and then you just make the run every single year. So for me, if that's maybe the blueprint to success, are changes going to be made? Yeah, for sure. But if you have Wheeler, you have Shifley, you have Hellebuck, you have Morrissey, maybe that's your four, and now you just go after it again and again and again until you eventually break through. So I don't know. I, there will be changes, but I think that's kind of what the mentality has to be going forward. Do you think right now the Winnipeg Jets' core is too big? As in, they have too many players with those high-level contracts. So I'm talking Wheeler, Shifley, and I'm going to put um, Kyle Connor, Patrick Line, and Nick Ehlers in that category, five players kind of in the core up front based on the amount of dollar value, especially with Connor and Line coming up as restricted free agents. And then you've got Morrissey and Bufflin, and then you've got uh, Hellebuck in net. But then you also kind of have Truba. So you've kind of got three on the back end, five up front, one in net. Is that too big of a core to be paying a ton of money? Uh, I mean, yes and no. It depends who you ask, right? Because those are all valuable pieces, but not necessarily all of them are specifically the absolute core. And if you're thinking the core, I would say you take three players you're building around, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Taves, Kane, Keith. And I mean, you, you look at those, and it's generally two forwards and a defense, and all, who is that three for Winnipeg? And yeah, there's other guys getting those contracts, but maybe it is time to cut one of those guys loose to get, assets in return, maybe spread it out a little bit more 
a guy like Kyle Connor or Ehlers traded, who knows? And those are maybe some of those changes that we we can see coming because all those teams that I mentioned did make big moves with a lot of their premium young players while keeping their three main players intact. And so now for the Winnipeg Jets, Shifley's young, Wheeler's getting a little bit up there, uh, Ehlers is still young, Connor's still young, Line's still young, and so they can kind of choose which ones they want to keep and which ones they don't. But for the Winnipeg Jets going forward, and people were complaining about Shifley and Wheeler and what they saw from them in the playoffs or what they maybe didn't see from them, are you concerned about any of the core players for the Winnipeg Jets right now? No. And once again, it's a loaded question because I am, because we lost in the first round, uh, but I'm not because I think Wheeler's aging curve is slightly better than most players, just given his style and the way he plays. Uh, Shifley, I think, is an absolute superstar in this league. So I'm not really concerned. Uh, one of my main issues is how poor they looked at times this year. They looked tired. They looked um, not engaged in the game. That is my issue. Um, that being said, I think they still have plenty, or for Wheeler, he still has plenty of years left. So I am concerned in that if they get used the same way next year, expending all that energy during the 82 games, are we in for another seven-game series where they just look tired again? Because that is my main concern going forward. Because it was definitely a discussion point at the beginning of the year that Shifley and Wheeler were playing too much. Do we now have finally seen... The you reap what you sow, do we now finally see what they sowed earlier in the year? And do you think that last year's long playoff run has was a factor at all? I don't think last year's run was, but if you look at the minutes they had this year, Mark Shifley was at the very top. I think he was first in the league for ice time for a while. I think he dropped to second. Uh, Barkov, I believe, was first in Florida. But Shifley was first or second in the league for ice time the entire season. And you're telling me that a guy like that doesn't get tired? He did look tired in the playoffs. He looked very tired in February, March, April when things weren't going so well. I believe that's 100% a factor in that. Okay, so now here's, I'm definitely right there with you. And so I think it was a good decision for both Wheeler and Shifley to not go to Worlds. Get a little bit of a break. Start their summer right away and start resting and getting mentally prepared for next year. I think it was good on both of them. And I know there are some people concerned about some of the exit interviews, Wheeler and Shifley maybe looking a little bit distant, locker room stuff. Are you concerned about that at all? Not really. I mean, we're probably going to go into the exit interviews a little bit more next week when you have some more time. Um, But for now, I mean, everybody kind of said what they needed to say. I I don't think there's any huge surprises. But yeah, I think uh, what you got to do kind of to, to recap is for the summer, will there be changes? Yes. I think you keep your absolute core intact, and if some other things need to change, I think you go ahead and do that. I'm not really too concerned going forward for the Jets. Now, here's one other thing, and I quickly wanted to bring this up. What are your thoughts on players having the ability to play better in the playoffs and not having the ability to play better in the playoffs? Patrick Laine is a guy who elevated his game in the playoffs, and we find out later about his back injury, and we find out later about Nick Ehlers' foot injury, but Ehlers was only in game, I think, five or game six, but Laine's had it for a good chunk of the last part of the season. Now, when you talk about players stepping up, and I've talked to different coaches at different levels, some guys don't have the ability to elevate their game when there's more pressure, when there's more... Um, people in your face, it's more of a grind style, the play changes, there's more back-checking, it's a a different style of game in the playoffs as it is in the regular season. So do you put merit in players 
legitimately being better in the playoffs than others. We saw that with Columbus. They beat Tampa Bay in the first round in four straight when Tampa Bay was clear on the favorite during the regular season. Is it because Columbus was able to play a different style and Tampa Bay couldn't? Or what are your thoughts on that? And are there any Winnipeg Jets that you're concerned about? Because I've got a point to this, but I want to hear your thoughts first. Um, yeah, it's possible. I think the biggest issue with playoff hockey is that uh, no penalties get called. And I, I think that maybe is a huge detriment to the Winnipeg Jets being a top five power play team in the league. Uh, so many trips, hooks, slashes just go uncalled because apparently that's what playoff hockey is. And I don't agree with that whatsoever. A penalty is a penalty no matter game one, game 82, playoffs, game seven. I don't care. A penalty should be a penalty, but it's not. And I think that's where the issue is, is that I take a guy like Nikolai Ehlers. Maybe this is what your point was going to be. How many playoff game, How many playoff goals has he scored in his career? Well, the answer is zero in about 20 games. So now you have a guy that has supreme skill, a 20-30 goal scorer during the season. He's 0 for 20 in the playoffs. Is that a guy who just underperforms? Possibly. Nikolai Ehlers absolutely thrives on using his speed. He thrives on drawing penalties, that sort of game. When those aren't happening in the playoffs, you can easily see a guy like that kind of shrink back because his most effective behavior using his speed and drawing penalties is essentially useless because of the way the game is called in playoff time. That was exa- so the answer is, is yes to your question, is that there are some guys that are more suited to that style. I don't think it should be the case, but it seems like it is the case for the Jets. Okay, so that's exactly my point, is what's happening with the Winnipeg Jets a product of having players that aren't playoff players? So now should the Winnipeg Jets be getting trading Nick Ehlers. Yes, he's got tons of value during the regular season, but now it's been two years where he's disappeared in the playoffs. And again, just kind of like you said, his style doesn't suit playoff hockey. Playoff hockey is different. Patrick Laine impressed me. He was skating hard. He was back-checking. He was getting involved in the play. He was throwing the body. I liked what I saw visually from Patrick Laine. The three goals in three games helped me as well based on what I saw. He's a player who stepped up. I was pleasantly surprised, and I was happy. Ehlers is a guy who took a step back, and I was disappointed. So for the Winnipeg Jets, how do they take that into the summer? Would they ever think about trading Nick Ehlers? I don't know, and I'm sure we're going to look at that in maybe in more detail down the road. But that's kind of what I wanted to look at. Anything else looking forward for the Winnipeg Jets, just quickly? No, we're going to touch on it all in the next couple of weeks. I mean, it's not a um, – there's free agency, there's drafts, there's resigning players. All that can be handled um, essentially in summer. But for now, I mean, it's um, <laughs> the disappointing loss, and that's about it for Winnipeg. All right, let's take a look at round number one and kind of look ahead to round number two for the rest of the league. Breaking down round number one of the NHL playoffs, Kyle, what a round of upsets. I can't remember anything quite like this with this many favorite teams leaving so early. And this is kind of unprecedented. And we're not going to get into all the different records and different things that have happened in the first round. But my bracket was pretty close to going perfect, as in 0-4-8. Uh, but right now I have just one series correctly predicted, uh, San Jose over Vegas. And that was barely, that was overtime, game seven. My prediction finally came true. I have Washington over Carolina. And if Carolina wins tonight, then I will have gone one for seven with my opening round bracket. How's yours looking? Yeah, so mine's actually well, slightly better than yours. Um, I had uh, Carolina upsetting Washington. 
Um, so that one I still could get right as of tonight. I did have Boston winning. I did have uh, San Jose winning as well. I think I had Dallas winning as well. Um, and I knew the Calgary Colorado was going to be a toss up. I think I did still put Calgary in there. Um, but yeah, what a round it's been. Essentially, in my mind, there's two ways to look at this. Um, you either absolutely love it because you never know what's going to happen, or you absolutely hate it because you never know what's going to happen. And I think you're kind of in one in one or two camps, um, depending on what team you're a fan of in this round. Well, I'm of the hated category because one, the Jets lost, and two, I always kind of pull for the favorites because I like to see teams get rewarded for hard work during the regular season, and I sometimes hate it when teams squeak into the playoffs, and it, sometimes it appears they get lucky, they get a little bit of hot goaltending, and then they go on a run, and I feel like they don't necessarily deserve it, or it's not a true indication of how good the team is, but I think this partially shows how little the standings actually mean. Because when you look at the Central Division, Nashville, the Jets, and the Predator and the Blues all came down to the last day, the last couple of days, where they were going to finish, first, second, or third. And really, Dallas, only a couple points back. So that's really a toss-up when you take a look at those. The real big upsets come in Tampa Bay and really come uh, out in the West with Calgary as well. But is there any series you kind of want to look at in particular? Not specifically. I mean, everybody knows the narratives of Tampa Bay losing and that sort of thing. I think essentially what you're playing for now, you're only playing for home ice because you don't really want to face anybody more than the next team. Yeah, Winnipeg probably would have rather faced Dallas, but then look what they just did to Nashville. Would Tampa Bay have loved to play anybody other than Columbus? Well, you say that now, but two weeks ago, nobody would have cared who they played because they were the best team. So you essentially just play to get that home ice advantage in the playoffs because whoever you play, it's not going to be an easy one. And the only benefit you have is if it goes to seven games, well, you have the, the extra home ice. That's essentially the, the only thing you get um, if you finish first. There's no benefit to who you play or matchups or that sort of thing like we've seen. And it didn't even really look like home ice was much of an advantage this postseason. And so now let's break down uh, the final matchups. Let's start in the West, looking at previewing round number two, Dallas-St. Louis. Your thoughts on that matchup? Yeah, I don't know. Kind of a surprise. It's tough. I'm probably going to pick St. Louis to go on. Um, I think it'll be very close. I mean, Dallas beat up Nashville pretty bad. I didn't think Nashville was that great this year. Um, St. Louis beat us pretty good in some of those games, so it should be a close one. I think St. Louis will take that one. Yeah, I was going to give St. Louis probably the edge. Uh, Both teams kind of in the same position, beating up on the teams ahead of them in the standings. Bennington played well for the Blues. It seemed like the Blues kind of figured things out in those last couple of games, moving around the lines, making some tweaks, and so they'll obviously want to keep that going into round number two. So for the other series, Colorado-San Jose, and San Jose obviously coming off a shorter rest, getting ready for this matchup with Colorado. Colorado kind of surprised me, beating up on a team like Calgary. Calgary, obviously, with some different goaltenders throughout the series, or at least throughout the season. San Jose, um, Jones had some issues at times in that series. It's going to be kind of interesting. I think Colorado could do it again. Depends on whether or not yeah. how Pavelski's feeling, too. This is going to be a really fun series, I think. Um, should be lots of back and forth, lots of <laughs> frantic action on both ends. Um any team that has Nathan McKinnon on it can win. Um, he is absolutely unreal. I know watching the games of uh, when he's in Winnipeg, there's just another level to his game compared to most other high-end players out there. 
his speed is absolutely outrageous. Um, just a super skilled, great player. He can essentially change a series by himself. Uh, that would be really good to watch against San Jose, specifically Burns and Carlson on the back end. I still give San Jose the edge. They are the better team overall. Uh, but best player definitely goes to Nathan McKinnon. I'm kind of cheering personally for Colorado because I know a bunch of people now in that organization, or at least I had a chance to call their games. I called Nathan McKinnon's uh, game when he was at the World Under-17s uh, a couple of years ago. He was an underager at 15. He was just phenomenal. I remember watching him back then. That's me, just a little bit of a brag there. Uh, but I also got to call games for Tyson Jost when he played for the Penticton Vs, when they played against the Portage Terriers. I got to call games... For uh, for Kale McCarr, uh, and both of those guys looked amazing back in junior when these guys were coming up. Kale McCarr, I just remember the way he could skate, the way he could shoot, and now seeing that in the playoffs, coming in from university, stepping right into the lineup for Colorado, gets a goal in his first game. So I'm kind of pulling for those guys. And actually, somebody from Portage La Prairie in the Colorado organization, not with the big club, uh, Nick Henry, actually played for the Terriers a couple of years ago. He went to the WHL, was drafted by Colorado, and so now to have that local tie to Portage from, uh, playing in the Colorado organization on their AHL team right now, uh, good luck to him. And so, by extension, good luck to the Colorado Avalanche. Switching over now quickly to the East, Columbus Bruins. That series starts right away again, so a quick turnaround for Boston. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think Boston should take it unless Columbus can keep this streak going. Um, it's interesting the kind of um, underdog mentality and how that can serve a team. Columbus doing exactly that and destroying Tampa Bay um, might be hard to get motivated again to play Boston, yet they're still the underdog. Just an interesting thing. Uh, I really love how Columbus was rewarded for loading up at the trade deadline. A lot of people criticize the Blue Jackets for trading four players when they should have been selling is what people said. I love that they won the first round, that it, it seemingly pays off to go for it and make a run when you have expiring contracts like Bobrovsky and Panarin. Part of me wanted to kind of see it blow up in their face, but I definitely understand your point of now maybe it'll encourage other GMs to say, yeah, we're on the borderline right now. If we make some big moves, we could really make a push. And so I do see, and I hopefully that will... I don't know if that'll really start this trend across the NHL, but it might go into the back of some GM's minds and maybe we'll see a few more lively trade deadlines. I, I think it depends on how far Columbus goes with this run. They were able to shut down the big guns for Tampa Bay. In theory, they should be able to shut down the Boston Bruins, but I think the Bruins play a little bit more of that grind style and have a little bit more of defensive mentality than maybe Tampa Bay did. I think, I don't know if Columbus's style will work as well against Boston, but we'll have to see. And so I'm hoping for, I'm pulling for Columbus, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Bruins were to get past. And so now for the final series, we don't know who's going to, it's going to be. It's either going to be Washington, Carolina versus the New York Islanders. Your thoughts? Yeah, this one's going to be fun. I really hope it's Carolina just because who would have said Carolina and the Islanders are playing in the second round of the playoffs? Uh, at the start of the season. Who would have just said really... any of these teams other than maybe Boston? Well, exactly. Uh, but I, I think if you do remember going back all the way to game one, I remember being really high on St. Louis originally. They brought in O'Reilly. They brought in Bozak. I thought St. Louis was a team that could do some damage, although it didn't look like that halfway through the year, uh, and they kind of rebounded. But other than that, exactly like you said, nobody predicted essentially any of these teams when you look, all of the favorites are, are essentially out, minus the Boston Bruins, looking at Tampa, Toronto, Winnipeg, Calgary, all the Canadian teams. Um, 
but all of the, the Vegas, all of the really good teams already out, anybody can win at this point. I think round two, Islanders looked phenomenal against Pittsburgh. I think Carolinas looked pretty good against Washington as well. That should be a toss-up. I'm going to give the edge to the Islanders right now. Yeah, I'm going to give the edge to the Islanders just because they've been able to have a break. They've done it all year. Barry Trotz has done a great job as coach. Again, another Manitoba guy, giving a shout-out wherever I can to Manitoba guys, especially connections to junior hockey. Uh, And so Barry Trotz uh, from Dauphin, giving him a shout-out. He's done great work with the Islanders this year. I think the Islanders have the edge no matter who comes out of the other series. But... I'm kind of pulling for Carolina as well. I've got a Carolina fan actually here at work uh, who cheers for them. He's got their jerseys and that kind of thing. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly why, but uh, I wouldn't hurt my feelings to see a little bit of uh, Carolina action uh, making it to the third round. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. And so that's why they play the game. Should be an exciting second round. I'm sure a lot of Jets fans tuning out. Uh, How many games are you going to be watching in the second round, Kyle? Yeah, I mean, I'll have it on, but I won't be actively watching. I still stay involved a little bit with what's going on, um, but I'm probably not going to be sitting in front of the TV every single night like I was uh, for the first round. Um, But especially when it comes to the finals times, I'll make sure to tune in. It's always fun. Yeah, it should be a good time. All right, well, thanks for joining us. This is the Jets Nation podcast. You can hit us up at Jets and Podcast on Twitter if you want us to talk about anything. And, of course, now that the season is over for the Winnipeg Jets, we'll be diving in over the next couple of weeks about what to do in the offseason, players to keep, players to deal. We'll be talking contracts, draft, all of that fun stuff. And if you want us to talk about any players or any topics in particular, whether it's coaching or whatever, uh, hit us up on Twitter. That's the best way to get a hold of us. Find all of the Jets Nation podcasts at jetsnation.ca.